There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everyone. You're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm Whitney Bronson, and I'm coming to you from the campus of Hampton University. And I'm on the line with my co-host East Dockery from North Carolina A and T in Greensboro, North Carolina. How are you, East? I am doing great. Blessed and highly favored. How are you? Amazing, and I'm doing well too. Thank you. So. The question I wanted to ask you, East, is which do you prefer, football season or basketball season, and why? Me, personally, I prefer basketball season. You know, the season's longer. Um, I feel like there's more diversity, and by that I mean, you know, you got the all-star game and, like, you got, like, celebrity games and stuff like that. So, me, personally, I enjoy basketball season more, you know, the energy. So, that's just me. Well, I'm with East. Sorry, guys, but I like basketball a tad better than football. Um, the games do go by a tad faster, but I'm a little biased as well because I used to play basketball in high school. So, yeah. But we'll keep you updated as the professional basketball season begins. I'm a thousand percent sure that there will be plenty to talk about for future shows. But we've got a great lineup for you guys today. First up, we're going to talk to former Roden fellow Tiffany Hoyd about Howard's football team, Kaylin Newton's exit, and what's next for the Bison. And we will also be talking to Jerry Bembry, who recently wrote an article um, where he interviewed Kaylin Newton. And then in the second half of the show, we will discuss Amber Geiger, the former police officer who shot an unarmed black man, Botham John, in his home. Um, we will also talk about forgiveness and the hugs that Geiger received from the judge and the victim's brother. So let's get right into it. Kalen Newton shocked the HBCU football world when he announced on October 1st that he was entering the NCAA transfer portal with two years of eligibility left. Newton made this decision right before the anticipated Howard-Harvard game taking place on October 5th. Players have the ability to redshirt as long as they do not play in more than four games a year. And after the beatdown in the season opener to Maryland and losing the coveted Hampton-Howard game, Howard is 1-4, and four, with Newton sitting out during the loss to Bethune-Cookman and the game coming up against Harvard. Newton established himself as one of the best Howard players in decades, winning multiple awards for the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference and being named the preseason player of the year for this football season. Along with Newton, three other players on Howard's football team announced they were leaving the team, and other athletes on Howard's teams are leaving as well. Joining us today to make sense of all of this is a senior writer for the undefeated, Jerry Bembry. He's been following Howard football and the situation with Newton for a while. And also joining us is former Roden fellow Tiffany Hoyd, and she's a graduate of Howard University and used to manage Howard's football team and is currently working as a producer for the Major League Baseball Network. 
Welcome to the show, Jerry and Tiffany. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you, guys. Of course, of course. So we're going to hop right into everything. So, Jerry, you just published a story about why Kaylin decided to transfer, and you guys can check it out on theundefeated.com. So was there anything that surprised you when you were talking to Newton? I wasn't really surprised. I, it was a guy who was going through a season where the team was struggling, and you know he came into Howard with high expectations when they went seven and four his first year, and he probably figures he can get a, a better opportunity elsewhere. So you know why go through a year uh, where you're going to get pounded for most of the year, uh, where you can just kind of like take it back, get this year back, and so the fact that he didn't play, you know, he played in only four games, he gets this year back. And just, you know, pick your next spot. So he's going to entertain offers from, I'm sure, many schools. And he has a desire to probably go to a bigger school. And we'll see what happens. But um, I think it's a smart move. And I think in, in the world of college football where there are so many limitations placed on kids, I think this new rule where you allow kids to play the four games and decide whether they're going to redshirt or not, I think it's a good rule for the kids. Tiffany or Jerry, do you know how the campus of Howard is like reacting to all these players leaving the school? Yeah. We had kind of heard that Kaylin was getting ready to leave before it went public. And my phone was going up, people from the athletic department, and then just general students who were concerned. They're like, why is Kaylin leaving? And then when compiled with Kaylin, all the other players started checking out. The question was asked, like, what is really going on? Um, so, Tiffany, you worked with Howard's football team for several years. So the fact that the other players decided to leave, such as Khalid Dorsey, John Smith the Sixth, and Iggy Reynoso. Did the fact that they decided to leave surprise you? I don't know if it surprises me. It was definitely a little disheartening because I remember when we got those players, I took a lot of them on their campus tours and we were happy to get them because they were ranked coming out of high school. And for an HBCU, I know in recent years, we've been able to get ranked players from high school. But it was just a big deal at that time to get those guys. And for them to leave us, it's like, what is, what's good? What's really going on? And I think that the university is making an effort to try and figure that out. Jerry, do you have any thoughts on the verbal abuse allegations that were made against the coach? I don't have any thoughts at all because all of this is allegations. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's been proven. There was a letter from an anonymous uh, parent saying that the, the, the student athletes were being verbally abused. And I, you know, I, I mentioned it in the story uh, because the story was out there, but I, I really had nothing to say because there's nothing that I've ever seen or witnessed. And in, until there are some solid allegations from someone who can put their name to the story, I, I don't, I really don't know how much weight we we can we can put on that. That said, I think that perhaps since that story is now now that more parents or maybe student athletes will come out and and be on the record and say something. But uh, again, I I just don't like. I'm not one to publish anonymous sources. Um, the reason why I mentioned the story is because the story was out there, and I think it had to be addressed. And and the school had put out a statement saying that they were going to investigate what was going on. What about you, Tiffany? Do you have any thoughts? Um, I was actually talking to my brother about this. I sent him the article, and he transferred to Howard after going to a PWI, predominantly white institution. And he was saying, well, Tiffany just sounds like he's a PWI coach, maybe. Um, and that he's just putting things in place that they're not able to 
they're not used to being at an HBCU where things are not as serious, but then in the same sense, knowing the players and seeing certain things that happened that, like Jerry said, that that was an anonymous source. But at the end of the day, sometimes when it smells like a duck, quacks like a duck, maybe it is a duck. So, um, Tiffany, how do you feel or how was the football team reacting to the news? When Kalen came in and did what he did his first year, they were like, oh, maybe we can win here. I was with the team my freshman year, so I was able to see a team that got blown out. Like, everyone wants to talk about that Maryland game, right? But I was there for the Appalachian State game and the Boston College game and a host of other games that we got blown out very comparable to that. And when Kalen came in, we didn't get blown out like that. We won the UNLV game. We have young guys like Dorsey who are able to show up for us and Dietrich Parsons. It looks like we have a program that is, really developing and something that you can put stock in. And when a player like that leaves, it's like, oh, dang, are we back at square one? And so I think they're looking at it like that. Jerry, have you heard anything else from um, people on the football team as well? You know, I'm not really closely connected to the team, uh, so I I have not heard. Um, I will say this, that Howard has a problem. Uh, earlier this year, R.J. Cole, who was a MEAC Conference Player of the Year in basketball, left the school. Uh, he transferred to UConn. Two years ago, James Daniel, who was on his way to becoming the all-time leading scorer in Howard's history, um, took a, re- a medical redshirt year uh, because he got hurt and had a chance to come back and really establish that record at Howard, but he decided to go elsewhere as a graduate student. Now, I can understand he went to Tennessee and it's a situation where I can get a chance to play big-time basketball. But if you're completely happy in a situation where you're like the leading scorer and have a chance to become the all-time leading scorer in school history, if you're really happy, you might stay there. So uh, I think there's a reason why uh, people are leaving. Uh, maybe it's a facility reason uh, at Howard. The, their basketball reason doesn't. Their basketball arena doesn't compare to other uh, universities' arenas. That could be an issue. Uh, I don't know what the issue is, but, you know, we all in this conversation about HBCUs getting these blue chip athletes and, 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 and being relevant in sports. Well, you can get them, but you have to keep them as well. Or you can develop them like the players I mentioned were developed, but you have to be in a situation where you make them happy and keep them as well. And Howard over the last couple of years has proven that they can't keep these guys. And that's a problem. To add to what Jerry's saying. Yeah. There's a problem at Howard. But, and when you wrote that part in your article, I was like, dang, from the outside, it does look like that. But in honesty, Howard's problem, it's kind of like if you look at politics, right, there's just so much that goes into it. You might see something, and it's like, oh, that all patterns out to where all-star athletes just want to leave Howard just because they feel like they can win somewhere else. But I think this situation, especially Kalen's situation, it's a little deeper than that. I will say with Howard basketball, Coach Nickelberry, he wasn't able to produce a lot of wins. He's an incredible recruiting coordinator, but he just wasn't able to produce the wins necessary. And there was a little bit of flux there to where I feel like, okay, RJ was like, well, let me leave. And then uh, James Daniel was like, okay, well, let me leave so that I can get an opportunity to go to the next level and win. I think with them, it was like, let me go win with Kalen. I think it's a bit of that, but I think it's deeper. Like Coach London left. I know that there was a lot of talks of Coach London not getting everything he needed 
to produce wins at Howard in the way that he wanted to. And then you have a you have a situation where you're trying to find a superior coach to produce the wins you want without the budget to produce those wins or to garner that coach. So do you feel as if the situation um, kind of gives a bad stigma for uh, HBCU athletics as a whole? Or Yeah, I don't think it looks good when star players leave you to go somewhere else and not five at a time, definitely, or not you lose two star athletes in two different sports all in a, a summer and a, the beginning of a fall. I don't think that that looks good on your program at all. Yeah, I just want to add, too, that you get these guys who become star athletes, and, and Tiffany made a good point. You have to win, too. The guys have to feel good about what's going on on the court. So we look at a situation like North Carolina A&T, where Tariq Cohen came from, and they produce a lot of quality ball players. They develop athletes, and they win, and guys stay. And so Howard has to figure out a way to start winning games, you know, be relevant in terms of competing for championships and conference, and those talented guys might say, like a guy like James Daniel might say, you know what, Tennessee is cool, but I can still do what I want to do here at Howard and get my numbers and be on a winning team. And until they solve that equation, I, I think it's still a problem. So uh, sometimes losing, losing is, a, is a culture, and I, I think there's some schools that fall into mm-hmm. that and fall into that rut. And I, I think that, you know, Howard, if you look at all the HBCUs in this country, they're probably situated in Washington, D.C., a very desirable place to be. So why can't Howard get these guys to become winners? Are, are they picking the wrong coaches? If they're picking the wrong coaches, then make better decisions on the coaches. Is there, are there issues with administration? Mm-hmm. Then change your administration and, and be a little bit more professional. Uh, and there's some issues, you know, some, I spoke to some alumni a couple of years ago when I did the, the basketball project on Howard. And some of the alumni had some issues with, with the team and the culture of the team and uh, the culture of the administration, and I, I think that needs to be addressed. So being that Ron Prince, he came to Howard from a, a PWI, do you think that moving from a big program um, at a PWI to HBCU is like a bigger adjustment, like even like mentally, not only culturally, but like mentally in the way you go about things? Any experience that you have, you're going to take it to the next experience. Um, this is a guy who came from being an assistant head coach of an NFL team. So it, I don't really think it gets much bigger than something like that, a stage like that. And to come down to not just an HBCU, this is also a Division One AA, meaning it's not the top Division One. So when you go down like that, you're going to bring your philosophies that you've used at maybe the highest stage. And you're going to have to adapt to them the same way they're going to have to adapt to you. I will say that a lot of the things that we're hearing about Ron Prince right now are the same things that we heard at Kansas State with problems in the locker room, problems with his staff, just different things that might have carried over to Howard. I just want to add to that really quickly. So you have a guy who's been in the NFL, who's been in major college programs, and he comes to HBCU. I don't think you can bring that same philosophy to an HBCU because at a big program, you might have a $90 million budget. And so those kids benefit in a certain way. You go to an HBCU, those kids aren't getting the same thing. So I think you as a coach have to adjust the way you treat the kids. I don't think you can treat them the same way. I don't think you can get away with the same things. You have to make an adjustment. 
And again, I don't know what, what, what Prince was doing at Howard, what he's done, uh, but I don't think a coach can come in with that same. He, he can't treat a guy who's making, you know, $10 million a year in the NFL the same way he treats a kid who is struggling to get a meal in a, in a, in a food hall at Howard University. I think it's, it's totally different. Or even a kid that's getting a $1,300 a month stipend as opposed to a meal plan, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. Jerry, could you touch base on what Kalen's thought process is going forward? He's going to take his time and, and find the best situation for him. And he's got plenty of time. You know, he's going to stay at Howard. He's going to graduate in the spring. Um, he's a very bright guy. And um, I, I think he'll make the proper decision that's, that's best for him. Um, he, he was telling me that, you know, you, you sometimes can go to a major school, but you don't want to be one of, like, ten guys competing for one position and, and then kind of make a regret that, you know, I don't, I don't get a chance to play because somebody's in front of me. I mean, he wants to play, and he's going to find a situation uh, that allows him to play and a situation that allows him to get a good education. So I, I think it's best for him to take his time. He's got nothing but time right now, and um, I, I think he'll make a good choice when, when, he, when, he, when everything is sorted out. So um, what's the message that you think Kalen is sending by finishing his degree before he goes to a different school, and where do you think he should go? I'm not going to make a prediction where he should go, but, you know, he, he's a bright kid who wants to get a college degree. One thing he told me was that he, there's going to be life after football for him, and he wants to be able to have a plan when football is no, no longer part of his life. So. Um, I think he will make a, a good choice that's good for him from an educational standpoint. But, yeah, it, it's too soon. I mean, if you go to a Power 5 school, you may not get that chance to play. The competition might be steep, and you may not get that opportunity. So um, he'll sort all those things out and, and, and go to the place where he can play and get a good education. Yeah, I, I think what Jerry said, he made a decision. He's a bright man. He made a decision to get his degree because at the end of the day, you're always going to have that. That's a that's a very mature move to make sure that you get your degree. Not a thing I was talking about when Kaylin came in in the spring before he actually started playing football at Howard because of the fact that he was going to graduate early. And when you can graduate early, it gives you an opportunity to go and get your master's and really maximize a scholarship to a lot of these schools because I think a, a lot of students don't take advantage of that. They think, oh, okay, well, I'm here to play the sport. No, you're here to get an education while you play the sport because you're always going to have that education to be flexible later on in life. And I just want to add one thing. He needs that degree to play as a graduate student. So that's, Absolutely. That's, he has to do it. has to do it. Otherwise, he can't play. That's a good point. Even more mm-hmm. chestnut checkers, his dad was able to identify if anything goes left, you can make a decision to leave and still get your, one, get your degree, and then two, be cleared in any way. So as for Howard, what do you... What do you think this means for the future of the program, and where does it stand? They need prayer. I'm sorry. I mean, I've I, 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 I followed the team for many, many years. It's, it's been a struggle. Uh, they're not the only squad in the MEAC. They're not the only team at that level. MEAC and our MEAC teams, there could be some PWIs that are at that same situation that they just struggle year to year to year. They need a plan, and there need to be better decision made on who comes in and leads these young men and young women at, at that university. And again, I, I have to repeat that this is Washington, D.C. 
anybody would be happy to go to college in Washington, D.C. They should be getting the cream of the crop of black college students to come to that HBCU. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, that's not happening. A student athlete, mm-hmm. from a student athlete standpoint, and that's a problem. Yeah. This is Howard. Howard is supposed to get the best and brightest. I, you know, I know it's not. It's more than Howard people on the phone. But we're supposed to get the best and brightest. And we are capable of so much. And to take, like, ten steps forward to get knocked back down. Because that's really what this is. We got knocked back down. And it's just disheartening. I remember watching that Maryland game, listening to the radio broadcast, and I'm like, this is not the same team that beat UNLV. So what is going on? And I think that's going to be on the administration and the athletic department to figure out why is there such discord and disarray right now. And to switch gears to base basketball really quickly. So, Jerry, you mentioned that two top high school recruits, Josh Christopher and Maycore Maker, will be visiting Howard's campus. Do you think this will make Howard look good? And how likely do you think the school will be able to snag these guys? Um. If I if I'm a black college basketball player making the decision to go to college, then I'm probably going to have one of my recruiting visits to be at Howard University, regardless of what level I'm at, uh, because it's just a great place to be at to visit and have a good time. That said, yeah, you talk about the number ten player in the country, the number twelve player in the country, and they're going to walk into that 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 gymnasium and they're going to see that, and then they're going to walk into Kentucky next week, and then. Uh, they're going to walk into Louisville after that and maybe UCLA <laughs> or whatever school they're considering. And the decision is going to be easy. And I, I just don't – yeah, Howard can get them there for a visit. They can't get those kids <laughs> to come there to, to play. So I I agree that the decision might look easy, but I think when people come to Howard, I always – I t- said this to a lot of guys who went on recruiting visits with me, and I took them on tours. The connections that you're going to get at HBC, that's why something like this is so troublesome because we have so much to offer and it's like little things like this that just prove people right. And it's just, it's unnecessary. We can be better than this. We don't have to endure this type of stuff. People want to come to Howard University. People should want to come here and build. And that's why we get guys like a Kaylin Newton and RJ Cole. But when you lose them, it's just, it's bad. Yeah, I think the best scenario is for them to get guys that may not be great coming out of high school, but who can emerge as great players. No one thought James Daniel would be as good as he was. I think R.J. Cole was a little different. He had a nice reputation coming out of high school, but he didn't have any major college offers. And for you to ask two guys who are already established, these top ten players in the country, to seriously consider Howard, I just I think that's a long shot. I don't know if that's going to happen. But it's important for Howard to get those guys that emerge as really solid, great players like Kaylin Newton was and R.J. Cole became, I typically say keep those guys. You have to keep those guys. That will help you build a program. If you keep those guys and start winning games, that will help you build a program. Well, we hope that at least one of them will choose to go to Howard. But we're going to leave the conversation there. And before we let you go, um, we have a couple of questions for you guys. So, East, why don't you go ahead and ask them? So, Jerry, you know, we know that you're from Brooklyn and Tiffany, being that you're from Southern California. We just have some fun, you know, East Coast versus West Coast questions for the both of you. Oh, we win. <laughs> so, Tiffany, we're going to go ahead and start with you. 
Who would you rather listen to right now, Nipsey or Nas? Nipsey. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you should say Nipsey or Stevie Wonder with me. I'm, I'm in a totally different generation, but I'm going to no. say, <laughs> say Nas. Though. I'm going to say Nas. I'm going to go with the old school. Definitely Nas. <laughs> All right. So In-N-Out Burgers or Juniors? In-N-Out. In-N-Out. No doubt. No doubt. In-N-Out. Yeah. All right. So the last question I got, would you rather walk across the Brooklyn Bridge or the Golden State Bridge? Brooklyn. Brooklyn Bridge. You you see all that wonderfulness of New York City as you walk across that bridge. Across the Golden Gate Bridge. It's a nice view. Yeah, it's a a nice view. (laughs) It's not not lower Manhattan. It's not skyline. It's not. Exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, Brooklyn Bridge. Without question. First of all, all right, Kelly, I don't think we walk. Would you rather drive across the 91? That probably would be ours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to end the question segment. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Um, if our listeners would like to learn more about you guys and what you're doing, um, how can they follow you? We're going to start with um, Jerry. Follow me on Twitter at Jerry Bembry and just read me on Undefeated. Very simple. All right, Tiffany. You can follow me on Instagram at T-T-A-L-E-G-E-N-D. T-T-A-L-E-G-E-N-D, and then I'm on Twitter at Tiffany Hoyt. Okay, fantastic. So we're going to take a short break. And when we return, we'll talk about Amber Geiger and reactions to her sentencing. Stay tuned. switch gears and talk about former Dallas police officer Amber Geiger and the reactions to the sentence for killing an unarmed black man, Botham John. Geiger was sentenced to 10 years in prison and she's eligible for parole in five years under Texas law. Geiger mistakenly entered John's apartment on September 6, 2008 after coming off duty. She believed that she was entering her apartment and thought that John was a burglar and shot him in the chest in what she claims was self-defense. So after being sentenced to 10 years in prison, Botham John's brother said that he forgave Geiger, hugged her, and said he did not think she should go to prison. The judge for the case, Tammy Kemp, a black woman, actually gave Geiger her personal Bible and gave Geiger a hug. So a lot of questions have been raised about forgiveness and if there was a conflict between church and state by Judge Kemp giving Geiger a Bible. So here to help us process all of this is Jeremiah Edwards, a Hampton alum and a teacher of scripture, and he is also the minister for A Quiet Place Ministry. Welcome to the show, Jeremiah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. So before we get into the conversation, can you tell us how you got into teaching scripture and also teaching for Bible study and everything? 
So my family uh, has been involved uh, with the church and ministry for various generations, and it's eventually, I guess, I just caught a hold to it as well. Um, <laughs> I have been avoiding trying to avoid being involved with ministry ever since I was in middle school. But um, almost like Noah, you can't you can't avoid it. You just end up having to do it. Um, and ever since I've done it, I've kind of had a peace and settled, been settled in my life. So we started a quiet place ministry um, just to allow other people from different age groups, college students, um, people who are well off in their career, just to come together regardless of their location um, and able to, you know, really talk about um, the scripture and how, how reading the scripture can actually help impact their lives as well. So it's, it's, been, it's been really good. And that's really how I got started in it. We're not really necessarily going to talk too much about the sentencing itself, more so the reactions afterwards. Um, so, you know, Botham Jean's brother um, actually forgave Amber Geiger. So what are your thoughts about him forgiving her? Because a lot of people on Twitter were trying to say he was too quick to forgive and you know, they don't think they would have done that if somebody had killed their brother and all that type of stuff. So what are your thoughts about that? Um, I feel like forgiveness is for the individual, you know, the individual who was hurt um, more than it is for the spectators. And that's really what I feel. I, I mean, if he felt like he was too quick to forgive, then that's his issue. Um, but for me to say, how do I feel about him forgiving her so soon? Um, that's, I don't really have a say in that. And, you know, really, forgiveness isn't for the person who hurt you. It's for yourself. And um, I, have, I constantly remind people who come to me for advice or who are in the Bible study, sometimes you have to forgive people multiple times. But it's that first step to say, I forgive you. Um, it's that first step in helping with your healing. And that could be just a source to help him with the healing. Um, so that's, that's really what I feel about it. So if that was you in, um, hurt in their situation, would you, you know, embrace uh, Amber the same way that he did? Would you give him a hug and go about forgiveness the same way? And that was you in that situation? You know, I can't really say because, um, thankfully, I haven't really been in that situation before, you know. Um, when we come to the topic of forgiveness, I think people always go to forgive and forget. And if you really look in the Bible, and I actually searched through this talking to my friends, um, there's nowhere in the Bible that says forgive and forget, you know. It's really just you need to forgive how many times it requires you to forgive and try to move forward with that. Because if you don't start off forgiving people, you hinder yourself from moving forward. So I would like to think that I would be able to forgive them, forgive her or whoever the perpetrator was right away. But I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, and I can't say if I would or if I would not. Because um, when you think about it, it's the same The same issue happened with Dylan Roof. You know, the church came in and said, we forgive you. We forgive you. Um, and so I think it's the same thing. It's really up to them and for their healing. And for if, I can't really tell you if I would do it or not. I would just like to think that I would. So what do you think are the ethical, you know, ramifications of a judge giving a Bible to a convicted killer? Because the judge, you know, she embraced her as well and she gave her a Bible. So do you have any thoughts on that? I don't know. I don't see what the issue was, to be honest with you, of her giving her the Bible. Um, the reason why is because 
she once she she gave her that book, and I one of the questions I asked someone is, well, what what would have happened if she gave a book on to you know how to you know how to be successful in prison? Would there have been an uproar about that? You know, she gave her a Bible because that was she what she felt was necessary to give at the time. Um, I think honestly, if more judges gave that opportunity to hand out Bibles, probably that would be helpful for the prisoners as they move forward. Uh, as they move forward in their time in prison, uh, we we don't know that could be helpful. So, um, how do you feel about the people who are kind of attacking his brother and the judge, especially? You know, they feel as if as black people, you know, we all need to stick together and she should have been sentenced um, a longer prison term. So if you could, like, respond to those people who are criticizing them, what would you say? You know, um, first thing I would say is we just some people just need to learn how to mind their own business. And I think (laughs) if we keep that in mind, what you tell us in Scripture, that's one of my favorite scriptures to say, uh, Paul tells people, Learn how to mind your own business. Tell people once or twice and then move forward. You'll live a peaceful life. So I think that's one of the first things. But I think we should take live there from example, taking them as an example. A lot of people have so much anger pent up inside of them from not wanting to move forward. Um, and honestly, this young man and uh, whoever, uh, this judge, they're not the first people to do that. Um, Nelson Mandela, he talked about how he spent so much time in prison that he didn't even want to spend time. He didn't even want to waste time being angry at uh, the people who put him in jail. He like he didn't want to spend time uh, with the people who were uh, who had put him in jail because it was so much time wasted with that. Um, I think it's just we. I think if we waste so much time harboring that anger over what she did, she was sentenced. And do I think that sentence was fair? Personally, no, but then again, I'm not a lawyer, but it happened. At least she got a sentence. At least some type of justice was received. So I think that's what we, I think we're focusing on the wrong thing. So I'm, I'm going to get to, I want to get to this a little bit about the sentence in a second. But before I do that, um, how do you personally help people deal with tragedies? I know a lot of people on campus, you know, would come to you, um, honestly, including myself, when we were going through things and everything. So how do you help with people deal with those types of things? I think the one thing that I try to make sure is try to find the root issue. What is the main issue that we have an issue uh, that is going on? I have one young lady who came to me and how she she was sexually assaulted and and that was her root issue she was sexually assaulted by an individual and everything else that was happening the way she was reacting with people how um she was kind of closing herself off that that those were effects of it so when we go drive to that root issue we're able to see this is what we need to help this is the problem that we need to solve and i think that's one way that i try to make sure that we um that i do uh, when people come to come to me for help, what is our root issue that we have? And maybe if we are able to get that portion, we're able to help find other um, solutions for other problems that they have. Um, another thing that I do is I encourage people to also journal. I encourage people to um, to pray, but I also encourage people to, <laughs> to actually go to therapy. I have to remind a lot of people that your pastor, your minister, your teacher is not your therapist. And 
we you need both. Honestly, you you need both of them to work together. I think every church, every ministry should have a therapist on hand. So not only that you have that spiritual aspect, but you also have that mental health aspect that has helped you that will help you be able to get over uh, certain issues. And I think they can work hand in hand with one another. Some people think that her sentence was being was like too lenient of 10 years. And, you know, she could possibly get out on parole or good behavior. So I know you said about minding your own business, but in your personal opinion, do you think her sentence should have been longer Right. Yes, I do. So let me clarify about the minding your own business portion. The minding your own business portion is in regards to her bro- to his brother forgiving her at you know at the time that he forgave her. I think that's very important. That they that's that's none of their business. But in regards to the sentencing, I do believe that the sentencing was um, very lenient. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. what the average sentence. I don't know what the average sentencing is for capital murder, but I do know that there are a lot of black men that are in jail for life for murder and even for murders that they didn't commit, you know, um, you know, so I can't say that. (laughs) Um, And I do believe that 10 years, I think that is, that is very lenient um, considering the fact that she basically walked inside someone else's house and shot them cold blood. Um, I think that, yeah, I, th- I think that is ridiculous. And I think that's what we need to be outraged about. Do you think that this would change the tide in terms of police officers being um, punished for killing unarmed black men? Would this kind of like start to turn the wave since you don't often see police officers get convicted, you know, for wrongly murdering unarmed black men? Do you think this would be start of the change? Here's the thing. she Yes, she's a police officer. But if I'm not mistaken, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm not mistaken, she was off duty. You know, mm-hmm. so she wasn't an, she wasn't actually operating, you know, behind her shield um, as an agent of the law. And with that in mind, I think that's what makes this case very different. Uh, that doesn't change the fact that there are many police officers who get away with cold-blooded murder. That's just, and that's just the fact. Um, and there's also there is a difference in the way in the treatment of certain police officers who are getting convicted and certain police officers who aren't. I do think that her being an officer does add to the conversation and it can give some people some type of encouragement to actually seek um, the law after law enforcement. But I think we also have to remember uh, that she was off duty. She was an officer off duty. And I don't, but that does not change the fact that another man's life has been taken. I want to also ask just one last question um, that people are also talking about on Twitter. So, do you think that black people are too forgiving? Because I know I've seen um, some other stories where honestly something has happened to a black person and they did forgive that person and actually created a relationship with them. So do you think that they're too forgiving or is it once again, uh, you know, we just need to mind our own business and kind of, you know, worry about what we're doing in our lives type of thing. We are one of the most diverse group of people, you know, so I can't, we can't put ourselves in groups um, and make general statements. What I do know is people have their own individual traumas, form of trauma. And people's families have had their own individual forms of trauma. And they have found their best, the best way to handle that. 
like I told you, Nelson Mandela said, I don't want to be angry. I can't, I can't hold any anger. I can't remember the exact quote, but he essentially said, I can't harbor any anger at the people who imprisoned me because so much time was wasted. And I think that's how, that's some mindset of some, um, of some black people. Other black people feel as if we need to continue to bring this up. We need to continue to have this hurt and remind people of this hurt so that they can see, uh, so they can actually try to change what happens. But you, but we, I think we always have to remember that we can't change the past. With some people, what we need to do is to make sure that there is an overall reconciliation, an overall acknowledgement of what happened was wrong. And it was, it was the building block of this country. There is no way around that. However, now we must find a way to move forward. And, you know, you can't expect someone who didn't, whose family didn't have to go through that to find a way to move forward. But they, could, they should be able to be at the table and say, this is, this is probably what we are able to do. Um, so, you know, to say are black people too forgiving, I can't speak for all black people. Um, I can just say that forgiveness is help, will help you heal um, in the long run. I can most definitely understand that because when you keep certain things inside for too long, at the end of the day, you're only hurting yourself. You're not hurting anybody else. It's really just affecting you. And I feel as if um, this whole situation was just not a great situation at all whatsoever. Um, I personally do feel as if she needed to be sentenced um, for longer just because of the fact that she can be on parole in five years. So, I mean, you know, you kill someone and you only get five years where there are other people, like Jeremiah said, who are in prison for doing something that they did, actually didn't even do. And they're in there for longer. So um, I do think that Botham Jean's family, they're going to heal however they want to heal and um, just leave them be. The judge is going to, you know do what she wants to do as well to get herself through the situation. Cause sometimes we don't even think about how, you know, judges emotions are dealing with certain cases and everything. So that's honestly how I feel about it. East, what do you think? Um, I agree. I feel like you made a lot of good points. Um, just circling back to the beginning, I do think that forgiveness is for you instead of the other person. Um, as far as the actual situation itself, um, you know, like you said, it is murder. And I just haven't seen too many cases where a convicted, you know, felon has been treated like this. Um, and if you were to take the Meek Mills case, I don't even think it's like necessarily a race issue. But if you take Meek Mills case, for example, um, he had a black judge and he said that he's never, you know, been treated like that for a crime he didn't even commit. You know, no judge gave him a hug and gave him a Bible and gave him well witches. And that was like a black judge. So um, from an ethical standpoint, you know, if that's what that family wants to do, you know, forgiveness is cool. And if that's what that judge was feeling, then cool. But to me, it's I mean, hey, it's kind of weird to me, but I can't I can't speak on them since that's what they decided to do. All right. So we're going to leave the conversation there. And um, before we let you go, Jeremiah, we have a few trivia kind of this or that questions for you. So, East, why don't you take it away? All right. Since you're a Hampton alum, of course, we have some fun questions for you. So first and foremost, who is 
If you have one, who is your favorite celebrity alum? <laughs> My favorite celebrity alum has to be Wanda Sykes. Um, I can watch anything that she has made or listen to anything that she has said, and I will most definitely laugh every single time. So I will have to say Wanda Sykes. <laughs> All right, so who has the better homecoming, Howard or Hanson? Well, I mean, <laughs> I've never been to Howard's homecoming, but I know I've always had a great time at Hampton's homecoming. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So Prince or Michael Jackson? Prince, my dear. Prince. All the <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you know, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> I don't. I, I. I. Prince is the ultimate diva, I, and I. I appreciate that all the time. <laughs> all right. Last question: Chick Fil A or Pirates Grill? Okay. That now is that a joke? <laughs> Chick Fil A. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't know who asked these questions or who came up with these questions, but they. Uh, I know they just came coming up with some foolishness. So yeah, Chick Fil A. <laughs> and, and can I also add? Can I also add that the reason why Hampton's homecoming is so great is because of the marching force. They always have a great show. They always have a great pre-show and fifth quarter and a wonder, add a wonderful music to the parade. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I slightly take offense because I did come up with some of the questions, but it's fine. It's fine. It's cool. It's all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> So we're going to end the conversation there. Thank you so much, Jeremiah, for coming on the show. And if our listeners want to learn more about what you're doing with The Quiet Place or um, anything else that you're doing, how can they follow you? Um, they can follow me on Instagram at JeremiahDevoice97. We are currently working on building a social media and a website. So if you want um, real information on uh, The Quiet Place, um, or how to join the Bible study, or even receiving prayer requests or sharing your testimonies. Please, uh, you can follow me at Jeremiah Division uh, 97 on Instagram. And then uh, once we start our social media pages, you'll know how to get on there as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. You all have a good one. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So before we close out the show, we would like to do a segment called Bravo Nabro, where we discuss people and events that we liked and didn't like this week. So this is Whitney again, and I would like to say bravo to Hampton University because we are now actually on the common application for high school students trying to apply for colleges. And I just think it's really important that Hampton is on there because you really don't see a lot of HBCUs on the common application. They always have separate apps that you do have to pay for. And even for the HBCU common application, the mainstream HBCUs are not on there. So I think that that's a great step for other colleges and HBCUs to hopefully be added to that. And my Nabro is going to the NCAA for being against the Fair Pay to Play Act that was just passed in California. Um, I think they need to start actually compensating these players for all of the work that they're putting in for their schools and all the money that they're bringing into the NCAA 
and their universities as well. And it's not like the NCAA has to pay them anyway. So yeah, my Nabro goes to them. So East, what about you? Um, my Bravo for the week uh, has to be that Summer Walker. You know, she dropped her new album um, over it. And I feel like yeah. every song on it is just great. She makes music that people can relate to, sometimes males and females. So I just thought the vibe of the whole entire album was great. Um, my Nabro. Yes. But my Nabro is going to be about the sixth grade girl. I believe her name was um, Amari. Yes, Amari Allen. And she had accused these three um, young white boys of cutting her dreadlocks. But she recently came out and said that she just made the whole situation up and she lied about it. And I felt like that was really sad because there's probably like, you know, another young kid is who getting bullied like this, but they may be afraid to come out because nobody's going to believe them. And I just feel like the whole situation is sad that she just made it up like that. So that's my nod, bro. No, I most definitely feel that because I also... I think that there were some other things going on. I'm not going to say that those other kids didn't do anything to her, but they might have, which was why she said what she said to maybe get them to stop. But yeah, the lying part, I most definitely agree with that being a nabro. But that's all we have time for today. If there's anything you'd like us to cover or if you just want to leave us a comment, Tweet us at the undefeated hashtag Rodenfellows, and you can also contact us directly. I am on Twitter at wit underscore bit 98. That is W H I T underscore B I T 98. You can find me on Twitter at East Dockery. That is E A S T D O C K E R Y. Fantastic. So Thank you for listening to the Roden Fellows podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Mathewson and Kevin Parrish Jr. Special thanks to Tarika Foster Brasby and the ESPN digital audio content team. I'm Whitney Bronson and I've been your host. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as The Right Time with Bomani Jones and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.